AI. We're told that it's in virtually everything that we own. From our cell phones to our smartwatches, light bulbs, and televisions. And we're also often told that this should be very concerning to us. But what exactly is AI? I'm Leo Allen, and in this series from Voluntary Input, I speak with the experts, innovators, and thought leaders in AI about this very thing. Specifically, what exactly is AI? Who's building it? Who's in control of it? And most importantly, is it all truly evil? Never forced, never coerced. Open discussions about things in life that matter to you most. From tech to TV, movies, and gaming, and everything in between. Visit voluntaryinput.com to subscribe, contact us, and find out how you can support the show. Catch new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Voluntary Input. Well, Keelan, thank you very much for coming on the show tonight. How are you doing, sir? I am great. It's great to be here. and Nice to meet you, Leo. You as well. Can you start off by telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am Keelan Cooper. I am a neuroscience researcher at the University of California in Southern California. And uh, my work focuses mainly on the intersection between neuroscience and AI. Um, so the bulk of my work is trying to understand how the brain um, can learn and recall what it learns, so how memories form in the brain and how memories interact with each other in the brain. And then I, I try and use what we learn from our neuroscience work to apply it to artificial intelligence research um, to make better AI. And the main front on that is I co-founded a nonprofit called Continual AI, um, which is the largest research nonprofit in our specific field. And we've done a lot of work with um, across the industry and academia and developing tools to, to try and push artificial intelligence research forward um, the best that we can. That's, that's great. Now let's do a little backtracking. How did you, how did you land here? You know, how did you get started in the whole tech space and what you got, what got you to this point? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, when I was, I would say, middle school, high school, I had always been interested in, in science. Like my big thing was either I was gonna go the music route or the science route. And it was, it was one of the two. Um, and I ended up landing on the science route and I had always been interested in neuroscience um, when I was a kid. And I was actually really sad because the biology class in high school, um, they taught us all biology and the last one was gonna be neuroscience and then they just didn't have time to teach it. And so I like asked the biology teacher, I was like, for summer, can I just keep this textbook and bring it back to you when we start to like read that neuroscience chapter myself? And I read it and I was hooked. And then I started watching like online lectures and these things. And then when I went to undergrad, I really just dove deep into um, neuroscience research as an undergrad. And um, that's when I started learning how to code and trying to build up more of my background in computing. Um, and then the two just kind of was a really positive feedback loop, at least for me, um, and, and one driving the other. 
So you were, quote unquote, a brainy kid since you were a kid. Maybe. <laughs> Pun intended, brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brain's relative, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably. So one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to have you on was to tackle some of these issues surrounding AI, especially a lot of times in the media, we hear nothing but negativity when whenever AI is mentioned. And unfortunately, my opinion is whenever media is left with the charge of driving a narrative, you're almost always going to get a negative air uh, narrative because negative sales. So I would like to ask you, and I've had other guests on about this topic. Let's start with, if you could, what would be a basic cursory definition of AI that you would give to kind of help people have a, a starting point when thinking about it? Yeah. I mean, the easiest way that I think about it is AI is just building a machine that is capable of doing as many of the tasks as humans can do as possible. Um, Ideally, all of them, and ideally better than any human could do them. Um, So that is the, the grand goal of artificial intelligence, the holy grail, as people call it, is like general artificial intelligence, which is um, one big algorithm, however it's developed on whatever kind of platform you need. Um, but it's kind of this all knowing entity where you give it any problem, any challenge, any task, and it would understand it enough to be able to solve it and do that task, just like we could, um, in a, in a way. Um, so in, in a broad sense, that's, that's what most people in AI are, are aiming towards. Um, but that's far out and almost the border of science fiction land right now. And so um, in today's world, artificial intelligence looks more like tools. Um, so we've had computer tools for a while. Everyone has you know, used software on their computer probably at some point. Um, AI today is a more sophisticated type of tool that can either teach itself how to solve a really specific task. Um, so now when people go on Google search, um, Google can parse your language really well, or um, there's really good photo sorting algorithms where you just type in cat into your camera roll and all your pictures of cat comes up because it has image processing. I have two dogs. Actually, you you just put their names in and you train it. Every time you see this dog, put it in the folder. For example, we have a dog named Phoebe. (laughs) Every time you see this dog, that's Phoebe. And it does a great job at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it does really well. And other times it does terribly. Um, well. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, but, but, but to answer your question, yeah, that the grand goal is, can we build something that's as smart as us or smarter? Um, and then along the way to get there, we've built really good tools, um, that vary in kind of their sophistication and capabilities and what kind of tasks they solve. Um, but like you were saying earlier, like how the news marks, everything is negative business smart is wants to mark everything as like the most cutting edges. So everything is ai now even though oh yeah (laughs) is it really probably not now even with your definition some of that what you said being smarter than people would put a lot of people off how would you put them at ease with that sort of thing um in the same way that most people have driven by a construction site before and you see that big big backhoe equipment that's digging holes and picking up 
thousand pounds worth of you know like the the iron bars to build skyscrapers um those are stronger than people but very few people are, drive by those and say wow that 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 machine is way stronger than i am um, we shouldn't have those right um and so yeah it is off-putting because it's it's our cognition is kind of how we define ourselves, right? Like humans are the smartest species. We're not as fast as the cheetah. We can't really fly by the bird. We don't have as good a vision as some hawks, but we are the smartest animal out of all of them. And we can build the tools to pretty much do all of the other things. We can build a car to drive faster than a cheetah. We can build a plane to fly faster than a bird. Um, and we can build a supercomputer that can calculate better than we can. Um, but that cognition part is, is really kind of near and dear to us. Um, but I mean, I say just like the industrial revolution transformed the human muscle to a machine and you have way better output than you ever could before physically, um, mentally, I think it would, would have the same effect that would, that we would able to work faster and more creatively. And, um, yeah, as, as long as we, we handle that transition well, to that kind of new era, which we're already in, mind you, with a computer. I right. mean, a computer is a, is a way already. I mean, even if it, you don't call it AI per se, it, it really is a way to, to put your thought into some sort of device and to, to work with thoughts and your ideas in a new way. Um, like if you asked a, an electronic musician who wouldn't have a field, or we wouldn't be able to have this interview probably otherwise. No, we wouldn't, right. I flew over there, right? So, so I think it'll just give us the capabilities. And as long as we navigate that transition wisely, which, you know, it's always a, a mediocre uh, track record of. Um, yeah. And it's, I never heard the analogy of a, of a, um, of a tractor, like you put it that way. That makes perfect sense. But, you know, people will argue that, uh, well, tractors got to have a key. So who would have the key to AI? We got to have that on off switch. Who do you think yeah. would be? Yeah, they say tractors have a key. And usually when people give that analogy, they say, well, look at what happened to horses. Because prior to the tractor, everything was done by horses or donkeys. And after the invention of the tractor and the, the plow and these things, the horse population drastically decreased because we didn't really need them to work. Same with the car. The car put the horse out of business. Um, but I, I think any any form of human innovation is going to have some degree of displacement it, it almost always will and so it really is just being able just like the industrial revolution put some people out of business um there's always going to be that and so it, it's really just the cost benefit analysis of um can we handle that transition well and can we minimize the amount of um error and and issues that will arise when we when we make that transition because ultimately we're doing it to, to get to a better place where we can produce more at a lower cost so more people can have something or um and, and so on and like so you in said, terms of how you do that oh yeah oh, sorry. no go ahead go ahead i'm sorry so in terms of how you do that that's the main question of who who kind of will put their finger on the the scale of how fast do we make that transition? How do we regulate that transition? Um, what kind of policies do we need? What kind of rights do we need to enact? Um, and there are far smarter people than me I know working on this, though AI ethicists. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I mean, for years, I mean, governments have been talking about these things um, and funding agencies have really been pushing this. And, and most corporations do have ethics boards, um, but it's always going to be a question of how much is enough. Um, and, and I would almost say that that the people like you're saying like with the media you get so caught up in oh the superhuman ai is going to take over the world and it's going to like put us all out of jobs that it might that that is a more alluring story than um bias in your training data might mean that an automated algorithm that looks at resumes might be looking at some demographics of candidates over another demographic and that could ultimately lead to itself right so so the, the more tangible problems that we're seeing now might be ignored just because of that alluring you know ai is going to take over everything and um, that's what yeah that's what um kind of frustrates me about people in general it's that those uh what do you call it those headline grabbers mm. and uh, I always try to remind people, well, no, that's not really what, if you would have any concern, that shouldn't be your concern, you know, because people think of things like the Terminator movies, like, mm. no, that's not really, that's not going to really happen. <laughs> Bottom line, I don't see that ever happening, but you know, we won't live that long. But in either case, like you said, I think the more tangible concerns people should have are, like you said, things like AI bias looking at resumes or we've already run into like um uh, police trying to use profiling software you know and they had to scrap that so those mm -hmm. are the more tangible problems that should be addressed as opposed to well the computers are going to take over the world okay that's a science fiction book <laughs> so <laughs> well i mean it depends how you define it because computers already have taken over. oh a long time ago yeah i mean that that i think that goes without saying yeah um i think it, it's really just like you're saying the matter of control of early in the, you know in the 90s you just kind of you know plugged your computer into the internet and you could go wherever and you know you weren't as you didn't really feel like there was kind of this cabal of organizations really kind of putting their thumb on what you see and what you do and how it guides you um the social media thing has kind of changed the landscape, I think, that yeah. we've seen a lot of dynamics there. Um, and yeah, it, it really is kind of a, a question of, are we even looking in the right places or asking the right questions? Or, or, or are, we, are we putting a lot of time and effort into something that we think is going to be bad when Something that we just thought, oh yeah, that that's nothing. Really, could be the the thing that that is biasing, um, you know, large amounts of human activity, um, and that that's a hard question. That's a that's a really hard question to to ask. Now, I never say to just totally ignore possible negative outcomes, but I just feel that society in general focuses too much on a perceived danger than they do then they focus on, well, what is the actual purpose of this tool being created? What are the possibilities of good outcomes? Because again, like we know with media, negative sales. So with that, one thing that I saw, I think it's on your Twitter profile, you said, let's take the A and I out of brain. Mm -hmm. 
and what was it? Bridge do the gap. Do something good with it. Yeah, yeah, do something good with it. Can you expound on that a little bit? Well, I thought it was clever. It was pretty clever. I realized that Brain had AI in it, but um, <laughs> how clever it is, we'll see. Um, but yeah, that. So, so usually the way I explain it, there's certainly no one way to build AI. Um, and, and you can certainly build very good AI, as people have done, and not know anything about the brain or anything about neuroscience at all. Um, you, it, that, that just goes without saying. I mean, that's a fact. You, you don't have to. Right. But it certainly has helped. Um, and there are a lot of cases where by looking at how the brain does it, even if it, even if you're not directly implementing the same you can call it the algorithm the brain uses. But even just the inspiration from how the brain works really has been the impetus for a lot of big advances in, in AI. Um, neural networks, for instance. Mm-hmm. Very loose, like you, despite the name neural networks, they are very loosely related in terms of how they work to how the brain actually works. Um, but deep learning, after Google found the cat on the YouTube video in 2009 and like we thought out the AI winner has, has been everywhere. I mean, people who like my parents who don't know anything about tech have heard the world neural network, right? So it, it really has been pervasive and the, the examples go on and on from that. Um, when DeepMind beat Go, or, or even when they when they played the Atari games for the first time. The, the big driver for that success not only was deep learning, um, but was something called like episodic replay, which is a, a method that was inspired by how the brain can um, retain its memories. Um, they have done uh, elastic weight consolidate. It's a specific algorithm um, to avoid uh, overriding memories. Um, which was directly inspired by neuroscientists who use microscopes to st- stare at the connections between neurons and the dynamics between how neurons connect to each other. Um, and so, uh, oh, convolutional neural networks, the, the convolution and convolutional neural network is inspired by the retina in the eye, the, the on-off part of the, that matrix. Um, so the, there are a lot of really good examples of borrowing from neuroscience um, and, and trying to accelerate AI development. Um, and I, I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. And also because I think studying the brain, which in its own right is, is worth studying because that is what makes us us and that is the only intelligence that we know of that can do all of these things. Um, I mean, that's the worthwhile endeavor just by itself, let alone to use it to to build better tools and, and smarter machines. I think it only makes sense that, uh, considering what you said previously about trying to build these these AI models that can think as well as us and perhaps better, it only mm-hmm. would make sense that those working on it would look to neuroscience because, I mean, like you said, you don't really have to know it, but you do gotta, I think you do gotta kinda know it a little bit if you're trying to make something if you're trying to mimic something, you have to know the something that you're trying to mimic, right? I mean, it helps, but but not necessarily. And that was kind of the thought 
So there's been multiple AI winners, AI winners being where you have like this big boom of funding for AI research and everyone, there's big advances and then all of a sudden you hit some plateau and then the funding dries up and then there's not many advances and then it goes, reverses the cycle. We're somewhere in the third or fourth cycle of, of big AI development now. Um, and, and in like the second, or first, second winter before that, what, what, what researchers really thought was that you could just sit down, and this is early when, when programming was starting to become big, um, that you could just sit down and program explicitly um, the instructions of how to do a task. Um, just handwrite it, every, every outcome. And when, when you hit some critical mass of, um, say like you're a robot driving and you just program all the explicit instructions of, um, if you see a door, reach your arm up, grab the doorknob, twist, open, then go through, right? Like the this recipe for action. If you hit some critical mass of that, you'll get intelligence. Um, or if you want to play chess the way that, that Deep Blue beat chess was um, explicitly just taking every possible state that the chessboard could be in and just brute force searching through all these possible states um, using just a, a handful of handpick heuristics to kind of make that search a little bit smaller. So it was computationally feasible. Um, but, but that was the mindset that computers are really powerful. If we just think of the most clever way to tell them what to do, then they'll be able to, to do a lot of tasks. And again, the, we could beat the world grandmaster in chess by that kind of approach. Um, but we quickly found out that you can't, it's a, too complex of a world to just explicitly. I was going to say that makes no room for nuance, especially a yeah. robot coming to a door every doorknob isn't exactly in the same spot as much exactly. as we try to like to think, you know, we have standardized construction. No, you're going to run into a door that is slightly different than, you know, just the instruction of open the door. Mm -hmm. Even that has nuance to it. Yeah. 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 And in different a circle doorknob versus like the bar doorknob, versus right. Like the push, right. Like, like all of that variability in the world. Um, and so the most recent approach, contrary to, to the prior one, is, well, we can't, we don't, we, the world is too complex and too big to sit down and, and tell a computer everything. So now what we can do is we can just give the computer a goal or a set of goals, and the computer will learn the best method or the best way or the best possible way to do that task itself. So this is the advent of machine learning computing power got to a critical mass where it was easier to train these these computations because you need a lot of you know, iterations and so on. Um, and so the, the the advent of machine learning was, was really powerful because no longer do I, the programmer, really need to worry about the instructions of the task. What I need to worry about is what's the cleverest way that I can write it, an algorithm to get the computer to, to learn that task. Um, and we've seen a lot of advances there. Yeah. Um, but, but who knows how, how far that'll go. Yeah, just look, look at Boston Robotics. I mean. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people are like, that's kind of freaky. We're like, well, yeah, but that's the direction we kind of want them to go. I mean, because I, and sometimes I get criticized for it. I'm always kind of leaning more towards the optimistic side of things. Yeah. Yes, anything can have drawbacks. Anything can have problems. You look at the world of medicine. I mean, we have, we've made great advances in medical science, but there's still some drawbacks even to the things that can help us if you're not careful. 
So mm -hmm. I, I always say the same thing about AI. You know, there's great things that could be done with it, but there could be drawbacks if we're just not careful. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things that, that you don't even, like you can be really careful and until it's out there in the world, you might not even have imagined that possibility of something that could have went wrong. Um, so so yeah, let's and, talk about, Let's talk about some of the specific things that you're doing. Uh, yeah. I, I was looking at you. What can you tell us a little bit about Fortin Lab? What exactly is that? Yeah, so so I work with from my the brunt of my neuroscience research at the University of California. I I work with a really fantastic team of really bright neuroscientists, and we also collaborate with computer scientists and statisticians and cognitive scientists and kind of a big group um, directly investigating how the brain learns and so how uh, we record directly from populations of neurons in the brain and regions that we know are really important for memory and learning and decision making um, and and our our main goal is to really find um, the algorithm that that supports these type of learning um, specifically, what we're interested in learning over longer periods of time. Um, so, like if you uh, sat here and you told me about your day, you would tell it to me in kind of this narrative story, um, which will ultimately be like a sequence of events. Like, I woke up, I made breakfast, then I went to work, and this happened, right? It, it would be these kind of episodes that, if you really put them on a timeline, they would be these chunks in time. Um, and so, we're, we're really interested in understanding how the brain can take these memories, stitch them together into some, some narrative story in the brain, um, and then later extract information from that that it'll use later on. Um, and to do so, we found out that we really needed to develop new methods because the, the methods that were priorly used in the field, um, mostly statistics type approaches, um, really weren't sufficient for the, the types of questions that we wanted to ask. And so instead of, I, and again, it, it, I, instead of building AI for the sake of building smarter, you know, AI for the, the sake of it, mm -hmm. um, we kind of used it as a data science test would. Um, the reason AI is so prevalent in data science is because it's a statistical learning machine. It, it is really, really good at finding these nonlinear patterns in data. Um, and so we developed new types of AI decoding approaches um, to understand how the brain works and decode these patterns of neural activity um, to try and garner some insights about what the mechanisms the brain are using to um, form memories and then link memories together and then flexibly use these memories in uh, making decisions or, or throughout daily life. And so anyone would ask, and what would you, what would you do with that? What would be your ultimate goal? Yeah, what would you do? I mean, the ultimate goal is to, for me, to 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 understand the brain at such a level. Um, Feynman, Richard Feynman, famous Nobel Prize physicist, he has this really famous quote: "says um, If I can't build it, I don't understand it, oh, okay. um, or I don't understand what I can't build." Um, and that is kind of my because because if you ask, how does the brain work? That's a you know, that's a very broad question. Um, and to find some level of understanding is, you know, you could work lifetimes um, to really delve into that. 
But for me, I feel like once we know enough about the brain to, to re-implement that, say in a machine, um, or when there's a disease such as Alzheimer's or addiction, um, to, to understand what might be going wrong and, and what parts of the system needs to be tweaked, um, that to me is, a, is not the, the best way to understand, but it, it's a really good benchmark that we're, you're on the right track. Right. And so for me, that's the goal is to delve insights from other brain works and to, to use those to, to build things that can implement them um, in a different way. Do you love comics, movies, video games, and more? We do too. Join me, Josh Scar, and my cast of colorful co-hosts on Talking Smack. Look for our yellow and red icon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcast players. He's on the run from the law, falsely accused of murdering his... Wait. Oh, got my scripts mixed up here. Ah, here we go. This makes more sense. The Movie Wire Podcast with host Justin Henson. Hear Justin's movie verdict wherever you listen to podcasts. Tune in to The Movie Wire today. Could you see these these types of things as being helpful maybe in the medical space, like you mentioned, Alzheimer's? Um, yeah. Yeah. Especially because... So I'm, I'm very much on the more basic research side just because it would be like trying to fix a car engine and you had no idea how the engine worked right right it's it's far easier to to fix something that's broken when you have some idea of how it works rather than just when your tv's flickering and you don't know anything about it just slapping it and hoping it works <laughs> yeah i don't want to like say that the medical the medical field is certainly more nuanced than that right right um, but when it comes to neuroscience really a lot of the tools in the medical space that we have um, and a lot of medical professionals will tell you this, they're blunt instruments. Um, and sure, you can give someone some medicine and it might have an effect for some period of time, but to really characterize, you know, is it really only doing the thing that you want in the brain or is it doing something else? Is it really just a, a quick fix for a short duration of time or is it really curing these diseases? That is still a more open question. Um, particularly in neuroscience, just because the, the, the amount of work that you have to do to do anything is so, so vast that um, it's really not as easy um, to just sit down and, and just say, okay, well, this is the problem. This is what we need to do. Let's fix it. There really needs to be some more pieces at play. And the only way to get those pieces to try and understand what, what the dynamics of them that could be broken are, um, is, is through basic research. And to me, the promise of long-term outcomes without so much medicine, that's really appealing yeah. to me. If you could, yeah, if we could figure these things out without, because I, I'm a firm believer that, yeah, I'm not against medication, but often medication is just masking uh, a bigger problem. So what do we, what are the long-term solutions to actually fixing the problem? And especially yeah. when it comes to the brain, because, you know, the brain mm -hmm. is still, well, for average Joes like me, <laughs> yeah. it's just a one giant mystery. And it really depends, I think, on the specifics, because the, just like anything, there are some medicines that are very well established and we know exactly how they work and we know the mechanism. And you can be very confident in if I give you this, this will be the outcome. This is safe. This is what to do. 
there are other medications and it's not even a function of age. There are some old medications like this and there's some new medications like this where we know that it works. It passed the clinical trial. It certainly has more, you know, how we rank clinical trials is it has more good side effects than bad side effects um, to some predefined criteria and the board reviews it and so on. Um, but we're still not quite sure about what, what the mechanism is and, and what the, the, the outcomes are. Um, and so, yeah, and, and it's often both. The brain is a really complex um, it is. system. My, my favorite example is nicotine. Um, right. all, very addictive, for the most part, not the best chemical in the world to ingest in your body. Although there is a lot of research that looks at nicotine for, say, hearing, and that nicotine can improve your hearing because it makes the it, it changes the receptive fields of neurons, um, and it makes them a little bit more acute. Um, the nicotine is really nicotine is a plant-based chemical, but it really latches onto acetylcholine receptors, which is an endogenous neurotransmitter that's throughout your body, um, and acetylcholine is really important for like learning and memory and these dynamics. Um, and so that's why people say when I smoke, I feel more focused um, because it's, it's imitating this endogenous chemical in the brain that really um, allows your brain to take more information in and kind of hush away kind of the, the reverberations of thoughts and stuff. Um, so again, sure, it, it might help learning a little bit in some cases, um, but the addictive nature and all the other downsides of it you probably wouldn't prescribe those sorts of things. Um, the, another example of the cholinergic receptor for in terms of learning, the most prevalent drug given for Alzheimer's is uh, cholinergic reuptake. Um, so you're basically allowing your brain to have more acetylcholine, acetylcholine to help learning. Um, and so it, for a brief, for a few years, you see improved cognition in say like Alzheimer's patients, for instance. Um, so again, pros and cons. and, and really delving into what the the specifics you need for that specific case and disease, et cetera, really needs to be worked out more. Yeah. And with the smoking, I just can't get past the smell. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's good enough. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be deaf. Uh, so for average everyday living, you know, like I said, it's sometimes even, I find it a bit comical that even though, as you pointed out earlier, yeah, there's a lot of AI and everything nowadays, but some mm. of it is just, I just call it marketing. I've given this example before, it's something as simple as like a webcam. Like we've seen webcams, cameras have had autofocus and whatnot since, literally since they were invented. Now all of a sudden the marketing is AI powered. We see AI powered in front of everything. Do you think this is a disingenuine practice or could it possibly be that AI is literally in everything? So there's a, there's a joke amongst not even just AI people anymore, computer scientists in general, is that it's a, maybe to, to re-answer your first question, AI in computer science is just anything that we can't yet do on a computer. And really that makes sense because you know, 
take yourself back to the 80s when we hadn't beat chess yet. And really, we picture a world where there like no computers and so on. If you sat down and said to someone, I have an algorithm, I have a box that I can sit on this table. Well, I guess it was bigger. That I can sit in your bathroom. Um, it, was it wasn't that much bigger now. I started programming in the 80s, by the way. So, <laughs> well, well, the deep blue was deep blue. Was oh yeah, it was a room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I have I have a 70s the the TI. Um, it was like the computer right before um, Apple released their like home the, personal um, computer. I know it was the, like TI99 or something. something like that. Yeah, I started yeah. with a TRS80 Coco. So, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, <laughs> you were saying. But anyway, my point is, in those days, if you said, I have a big refrigerator-sized box, because I think that's how big Deep Blue was. It was a rack. Mm -hmm. and, and you said, I can beat the grandmaster of chess in the world. People would be like, that's a smart computer, right? There's, there's, not, there's not much to, to measure your, your success on. But the same like search algorithms are used in, you know, when you sit down in your file browser and you type in, I don't know, your document name and it's searching through your directory, right? The, you know, basic computer science 101 tree search algorithms. So AI at one time was really, really state of the art and advanced. And that's what all the universities were teaching where AI was fancy tree search and a star search and logic and, and those type of concepts, which now are just, you know, we just take them for granted in computer science. And now AI is deep learning, um, that everything is deep learning powered. And so I, I think it is true to, I mean, to really answer your question, I think it's true. I think AI is in some way in everything at, at varying levels. Um, and the fact that it's really, because it's easy to just import, say, like a computer vision package, and you don't even need to know how it works that much of the theory. You can just add it to your code base, and you can use it to, you know, whatever your application is. Companies want it to make it really easy. And now they're building AI um, into the chips. So it's even easier to run these algorithms. And when you build apps, Apple gives you like an AI library. Um, so it, it, it is really becoming pervasive. Um, but it really depends on how how you're talking about AI, because I think most people say AI is like I have this omniscient machine that, that's really really smart and can do anything. When really it's just a fancy 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 way of doing I don't know object identification, which you know that's intelligent, but I wouldn't call that you know the I think same. I think, <laughs> I think you just made the distinction for me anyway, that's what it is. Cause, and it could just be me when I think AI, I think of something a bit more advanced and, um, higher functionality than just a webcam doing autofocus. Now I get what you're saying. You could argue that, well, technically that's been AI all along. My thing is no one ever said that until recently. It just has become this well, yeah, I mean, pervasiveness in marketing. And, yeah. and you know that a venture capital firm, when you just put AI in your name, is like 20% more likely to give you funding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Figure out a way to put throw AI in your... your I mean, it's no different than like blockchain. Everything has to... Right? It, yeah. it, you know, it's people riding the tech waves and hoping that, you know, they'll, they'll be at the start of something big and new and, and using that. Um, 
but I really do think it is pervasive and, and probably more pervasive than people think. And it really would depend on, again, your, your specific definition of how you really interpret AI, mm-hmm. um, where that, that threshold lies. But needless to say, it is everywhere. I mean, just from the simple fact that it's easy, you, you can just load it into your code now. Um, you can have a classifier in your code, super easy. You can have a chat bot um, all pre-written and all the libraries for it. And so yeah. you can just throw a chat bot on your website and use that as your first step of customer service before you go to um, say like phone or something else. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's easier just because the tools are out there um, and they're becoming easier to use. And saying all that, you're telling everybody that it's everywhere. So, you know, I can agree with you on that. So I do believe with that, again, a lot of people may react negatively to that. Some people would say, well, you know what? It's everywhere. I'm just stepping away. I'm done with all this. What are some things you would say to people? You know, you don't have to be afraid of it because that's really what it is. You know, humans, we, we always fear the unknown. If we can't figure out what it is and how it works, that's when we tend to get more fearful. But what are some things you would say to people? You know, I understand that it may scare you a bit knowing that it's everywhere and you probably didn't realize it, but here are some reasons why you shouldn't be so afraid. Yeah, I mean, I would say if you're that worried, then you're probably gonna be in a class of people who just don't like to use technology at all which are plenty and, and I'm related to quite a few of them. Um, so, so I know, I know very well, like you can get by just fine by just having your, your little phone and using it to make calls and that's it, you, you know, or a TV or whatever. Um, but, but otherwise, I, I also think it's really important for, for the, the people who think that the AI is smarter than it probably is that, that most of the, the things that you really should be worried about have nothing to do at all with the machine and everything to do with the people behind the machine. And, and, and I'm not saying that as if like, you know, I mean, sure, there are some bad intentioned people out there um, or even people that are good intentioned and just, you know, not as mindful as they should be about how they do things. Um, but I, 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 I'm like you, I'm an optimist. And I think for the most part, the people do want to do the best that they can and just somehow get paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're a little less mindful sometimes and you make an error and you apologize well and you fix it and you, you minimize harm and you did put the effort and forethought in, then I, I think that would be for any new technology, let alone like AI. Um, but, but I would be far more worried about because most people say they have like privacy concerns that, that all these things are tracking me and my data is everywhere. I would be far more concerned with how that corporation is using my data than the specific ways that they use some new form of technology to collect that data. Um, Because at the end of the day, if, if, if they are malicious, they're going to be malicious irrespective of the technology that they have. Agreed. Um, Yeah. So they're just going to, it's just going to facilitate the maliciousness that's already there. Um, and yeah, we know there's always going to be some portion of that and hopefully we can 
protect people against it and have good policies, good password policies, good data protection policies. Um, we can educate people, which is really important in kind of the fast paced world of tech of, you know, this is how to spot um, a malicious link or a non-malicious link. This is how to have good um, online and digital security. Um, this is how that you should protect your data and what data you should share and what data you should protect um, or how do you back up your data, right? Like all of these things to, to really educate people. And yeah, it's really not the technology. It, it's just, it's a learning curve. And, and we need to make that learning curve for people easier so they're not as afraid of it, which is probably just a function of not knowing enough about it. And I couldn't agree with you more. It is more of the people behind the tech that you should really be more concerned about. I mean, that's true in everything. Even if you look at the food supply, you know, people talk about, well, there's these chemicals in all this food we eat. Well, the food itself didn't just happen to be that way. There were people behind it that did it for whatever reason. It's usually money, but yeah, it's more, you should be more fearful of the people behind it than the thing it's and I want to be clear it's not, I'm not saying that like I, again I I really think the vast majority of people in tech really just want to build I think something what happens cool is things get out of their control yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I mean there's other influences and things yeah. get bigger and that but, but I mean again for the most part it's really people just wanting to build something cool that they right. can use or to solve their own problem which is how probably the vast majority of tech startups get built is just some guy or some girl had a problem and they wrote some code and it solved it and thought, Hey, I could share this with people and they could give me some money for this. Right. And then a few years later you get VC funding and the rest is history. But, but and the, the fact is, kind of the yeah. yeah. And the fact is throughout history, we see it all the time. The problems start where more money gets involved. You know, it, yeah. it's just the, it's just the truth. Um, uh, what did Biggie say? More money, more problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was a prophet. Yeah. So uh, what what are some things that you're working on now that that you're really excited about that you're looking forward to to completing or yeah. diving in deeper into or so so towards kind of those ideas of of how, how do you approach, say, like the development of AI to, to be responsible about it and be democratic about it? And, and, and so Continual AI, the, the nonprofit, for instance, that, that we work on, we, we developed a, um, a framework. It's called Avalanche. It's a continual learning framework um, that provides everything that a researcher or someone in industry could need um, to develop uh, a specific type of artificial intelligence algorithm called continual learning. So this is an algorithm that continually trains itself. You don't necessarily have to worry about um, reloading these huge data, especially in the world of you know large language models and so on, where you have terabytes and terabytes of data, petabytes even in some cases, um, that it'll just continually learn and keep getting smarter and it overcomes some of the issues that arise with that. Um, and so, Avalanche, just as, and we're certainly not alone in this, a lot of the, the community is doing similar things, um, but it's open source. Anyone can look at it and see what, what's going on inside. Anyone can download it. Anyone can submit a PR to it, whether or not it gets to set, except it is up to maintainers just for, you know, you know 
I am all users, but, but, but it's democratic and it's right. open. And I think that that's was supposed to be the goal of open AI at one point. Um, but that's kind of the underlying principle. And I think that's important um, because the more people and the diversity of people that you have working on these things, the more voices you have to raise that concern and say, hey, I think that data set is biased because you're training on images all collected in the American South and not the rest of the US or whatever the issue would be. Um, and I, yeah, I think that's probably in these early stages, probably the best solution is just having more voices, more diverse voices um, and to allow people to really see what is going on behind the scenes. Because um, I promise you, when you see, if you, no matter how advanced the algorithm is, when you see the code and you understand how it works, it is never, it, it's like a magician telling you how they did the trick. Um, <laughs> all of that mysticism. I mean, you, you still think it's cool and you're like, wow. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly not like Skynet, HAL, right, Terminator, right. so on and so forth. But I was just going to say open source. I'm glad you said that. I've always been a huge proponent of open source, mainly for the reasons you just said. You know, mm -hmm. some people think open source, well, it's free and people can just mess it up. Well, that's not how that works either. But yeah. I, I agree with 100%. The more eyes and thought leaders you have involved, the better. Because I do believe, as you pointed out, you will have much better outcomes in the long yeah. run. And I, and I think, I mean, relative to a lot of other fields in science, I think that's been kind of the... I think that's been really the fuel underlying why computer science has been such this this rapidly accelerating field. Because if someone wants to get started, all they have to do is sit down, assuming they have a computer, which nowadays you can get one for 50 bucks in some cases, exactly. and they can run yeah. code, right? Um, and you can train it on the internet. You don't even need a good computer. You can just train on Google Colab for free. Right. Um, all the questions you could almost ever have when it comes to programming are either on YouTube or Stack Overflow. You can sit down and have someone teach you all of these things. GitHub has, I don't even know at this point how many gigabytes, petabytes, the terabytes. repositories, yeah, I, yeah. Of just open source code that you can just download and play with and learn. Um, and there's not a lot of other things in human activity, I think, that, that are kind of like that, that you can so quickly get your hands on and play with and, and grasp. And it's free. <laughs> that, that you don't even, it's only the cost of electricity and time. Um, and, and I think that's really been powerful and why we see such development in computer science and tech. And, and to, to try and replicate that in other things, I think, would be powerful, but harder, given the, right. the mediums that those are in. Well, to wrap it all up, I think hopefully everyone gets a sense of we'll just we'll try to lay it out pretty simple for them. Uh, you don't necessarily have to fear AI. And there are good people working on things yeah. that will come to pass. They might be sleep deprived and they might be, <laughs> you know, have a few late nights and not eating as much as they should, but. But they're really good people. They're, they're good they're people and they're really working good. on it. So yeah, stop paying so much attention to what you see on the news and on TV because that's just sensationalism. And if people don't get that by now, I don't know what else to tell them. I mean, <laughs> the majority yeah. of the things you see, you're going to see a bunch of negative stuff, but that doesn't really portray 
an accurate and full picture of what's really going on. So mm -hmm. that will always be my stance. Yeah. And I, and I think it, it's conversations like this and people like you are really like putting tech out there for, for more people to, to really just listen to and see the behind the scenes of that I think is going to be the main catalyst to that process of getting people educated and, and more comfortable with the very fast changing world around them. I hope so because they do. Yeah, it is very fast and it seems that it gets faster and faster. So unless you're actually listening to voices like yours and understanding what real people are doing, then yeah, mm -hmm. you're always going to, to, I just get swept up in all the negativity and then it's, then you become like a chicken little, you know, it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, I'm just going to go in the house and hide. No, that's not, you don't have to be that way. So so, Keelan, thank you very much. How can people get yeah. a hold of you if they wanted to? Or do you want people getting a hold of you? Do you want to be yeah, bothered? I mean, do you have time to be bothered? You sound pretty busy. I, I always have time <laughs> for questions about science and AI and neuro. Um, I think my Twitter's below. You might have a unique name. So just Googling Keelan Cooper usually pulls up, again, AI. It'll find most of where I am on the web. Or kwcooper.xyz is one of my domains. You can head to my website there for more info. And, it, and the website can, it, it's pretty cool, that landing page, how it, oh, yeah. the introduction. I'm not, I'm not going to give it away. We'll put the link in the show notes so people can go check it out for themselves. <laughs> the first time I saw it, I was like, wait, am I supposed to be typing something or, <laughs> or am I supposed to be talking? Sorry, did it remind you of work? Where you're like, oh. A little bit. I'm like, I just got off. <laughs> well, I want to thank you once again for coming on. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. Uh, no, thank you. This is an awesome show. If you want to come back and share some more insights, are you working on any books or anything? Anything? Uh, Not now, but, but maybe in the future. Maybe in the future. Okay. Yeah. And once you do, you can once again, come back and teach us come some back. more. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. All right. As usual, I want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening. Like I said, all the information we discussed tonight will be in the show notes. And if you have any questions or comments or show ideas for me, just go to voluntaryinput.com and select contact. Better yet, select register as a guest because we're always looking for great guests like you. Keelan, thanks again for coming on and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. All right, thanks everyone you. for listening. sometimes find yourself scrolling through the internet looking for articles to read only to find that you can't read through them all because you have other things going on what if someone could read them to you while you tackle other tasks well let me tell you about newsly newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for ios and android it picks up web articles about the most trending topics at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. Simply put, the entire internet becomes listenable all in one place. Browse articles from topics you choose and you can follow any topic as specific as you'd like. 
from sports to science to Bitcoin, it will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. And guess what? They have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 50 countries. And yes, this podcast, Voluntary Input, is there too. Download and use Newsly for free now. Follow the Newsly link and use the promo code in the show notes of this episode and receive a one-month free premium subscription. So again, if you ever find yourself scrolling through daily articles, stop scrolling and start listening. Follow the Newsly link and use the promo code in the show notes of this episode and receive a one-month free premium subscription.